Hello, everyone. Welcome to Empire Sports Media, New York Giants podcast, Keeping Up with the G-Men. My name is Christian Morell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Rivardo. Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Christian? Doing well. Uh, it's a pretty dry period of the offseason, but we do have a little bit of news. Unfortunately, it's from a guy that's not actually a giant anymore, Odell Beckham Jr. And uh, what did he have to say for us? Well, he um, he said that now that he's in Cleveland, he's in a, quote, great place now, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And he felt with the Giants, he was unable to reach his full potential mentally, physically, and spiritually. Uh, he's, he thinks that everything he was capable of doing, he couldn't see himself doing it there when he was with the Giants. So, personally, I think it's a little bit of hogwash. I think if he if this is how he felt he could not grow and reach his full potential then he should not have signed that contract that made him the highest paid receiver of all time and if he had these concerns with his growth and not reaching his potential i'm not sure why he decided to sign that contract yeah he really should have you know looked into the future a little bit and imagined whether he'd be happy in new york or not and yeah, you know, I think there's some truth to what he said because Eli is on the back end of his career. and But, you know, he, he knew that when he signed the contract, like you, like you were getting at there. So I just don't see, you know, what exactly he expected. But ironically, he wouldn't have had to wait much longer for a new guy. So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just think he, it's not really a, the true teammate thing to do to really think about yourself like that all the time because there's some truth to it but you know the Giants aren't looking for guys like that anymore yeah I mean there is some truth to it but at the same time you can make the argument for or against it I he he broke every record imaginable while he was with the Giants so I don't think that they stopped him from reaching his full potential those first few years and the last year or two has been a little shaky. He was injured a lot over these last two seasons, and you know you can't really blame those on him. Of course, when he broke his leg, that was you could blame Eli as much for that as anybody else because that ball was high on a slant route and that caused cornerback to get underneath him. But I Eli he knew Eli's age. Eli is 38 years old now, and now they have a new quarterback on the roster. He knew that a new guy was coming in. The Giants didn't make it a secret at all because Dave Gettleman has no poker face whatsoever, and <laughs> he should have known that either a he was going to stick around, wait for Eli to retire, and then get a new guy and reach his full potential with him, or he shouldn't have signed that contract. He should have just gotten out while he could. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned the part about the first few years because the first few years Eli was able to really, really sling it still. And that's when Odell was really having those huge games. And then this year came along and he started having totals in the 60-yard range and uh, second time in his career that he couldn't get in the end zone in September. So that's, you know, a guy with his type of talent. So there's there's some frustration to be had. But at this point, uh, you know, he should really try to avoid talking about it. Uh, it's, it's really just making him look bad. And I know reporters are looking for it, but he's he's got to be better than that. Yeah, he's got to be the bigger person. I mean, Eli has always been a 
pretty great guy to him in the media. He's never thrown him under the bus ever. He's always been very nice. He's always complimented him, talked about him, called him the greatest athlete he's ever played with, and always calls him an extraordinary talent. So I just I feel like Eli's always been very respectful, and maybe he deserves the same respect back. But if he's frustrated with the way things went there and he's frustrated with it, just I, I probably just don't see it the same way that Odell does. Well, that's the thing. Football is the ultimate team sport, and you have to be willing to have personal sacrifice in this game if things are really going to function the way they should be. And that's going to have some games where you're not putting up huge numbers. I mean, that's just, just the nature of it. A receiver isn't going to get 120 yards every single game. But, you know, I think I think maybe towards the end he was just feeling like he actually couldn't get involved like I was saying with some of those games where you know about 60 yards but they want to be a run first team now and you know that doesn't really require an elite receiver so at this point you know we should just be looking forward and hopefully we don't have to mention them a whole lot more until they finally get that matchup I I don't know about you but I can't wait for the first time the Giants play Odell yeah, I'm a little nervous about that game. I feel like Odell is just going to have a monster game and we're just going to get completely clowned on social media. So I'm not too excited for it, to be honest. Well, I think they'll really commit to just taking him out of his game because what I've noticed about him is when he gets lined up against a bigger guy who can really press and sometimes he actually really you know, gets owned at the line of scrimmage by those kinds of guys. He just loses his cool, and then he's thrown off his game. I don't know if you remember against Xavier Rhodes, he really just handled him all all night, and he finished with 28 yards on the night. So, And then the first first matchup with Norman, you know, before he got himself together in the, first, in the fourth quarter. So, But anyway, we can move on and predict some season stats for our new pass catchers here. So you want to start with Eli? Yeah, I think Eli, he's just going to have another Eli kind of year. I see him going 4,100 yards around there. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him under 4,000 yards, like 3,900, somewhere around there, because I just think the Giants are going to be really run first, run heavy with Saquon Barkley. I, I think Eli is probably going to get 25 touchdowns around there give or take, and 13 picks. Just a normal Eli year. I don't see him having anything that's an anomaly in it of any sort. And this is provided he starts all 16 games and Daniel Jones doesn't steal playing time. And Saquon, I think, is just going to have a monster season. I see 1,600 rushing yards, 13 rushing touchdowns, 5 receiving touchdowns, 850 receiving yards. I think everything that he did last year, but maximized even further. And I think um, Sterling Shepard, I don't, I don't see him cracking 1,000 yards. I think Golden Tate's going to crack 1,000. I think he's going to be the more primary receiver. So I see Sterling Shepard, 900-something yards, seven touchdowns. Golden Tate, like 1,100 yards, five touchdowns around there. And then I think Evan Engram's going to have a really good year. I think the absence of Odell Beckham is going to allow Evan Engram to reach his full potential finally. So I could see him going for at least 800 to 900 yards and six or seven touchdowns. Okay, so you think the passing game is going to be pretty healthy. Well, all right, so yeah, my part two to your Eli stats there was how many games are you putting these numbers in. Um, My stats for him are taking out December because 
I know a lot of people are optimistic, but I just don't really have high expectations for this 2019 team. I have them with 22 passing touchdowns, 14 interceptions, and 3,700 yards. But those are actually not not the interceptions, but that's somewhat respectable for not really playing in December. I mean, maybe he plays one game, but I, I just don't think our contention is going to last into weeks 15, 16, and 17. Uh, for Shepard, I actually think he's really going to break out here. In his first three years, he progressed with over 600 yards, over 700 yards, and over 800 yards. And I think he's going to get a solid 140 targets this year with 1,150 yards, maybe eight touchdowns. I mean, I know he's not really, you know, really have that much of a nose for the end zone. And speaking of that, Golden Tate really doesn't. His his career high in touchdowns is seven, and he reached it years ago. So I think he's going to have about four touchdowns, about seven, 800 yards, because I think he's, he's actually going to get a lot of catches. He just doesn't do a whole lot with them. He actually averages under 12 yards per reception. Uh, Ingram, let's see. You got to got to say he's going to miss at least three, four games. Yeah, I mean, if he stays healthy, I think my prediction could hold true because he played 15 games in um, in 2017 his rookie season, and he had 700-something yards and seven touchdowns. So I think if he stays healthy, he can surpass 800, get around six or seven touchdowns again. But, you know, he's he's always missing time, so. Yeah, that's the thing. He's like, It's hard to really say how many games he'll miss, but – I could see him averaging a good 70 yards per game. So if he misses four or five, he should be at least in the 700 yards range again. Um, but Barkley, man, my God. I mean, with an improved line, it's it's almost like his yards per carry could go up. What do you think of that? Yeah, I can definitely see it. I really think he's just going to have a monster season this year. I mean, he... He already had a very healthy yards per carry. It was about five, five yards per carry. So, I mean, maybe the carries will go up, and that would call for a, for a lower average. But at the same time, the line is so much better. So, tough call. But do you think he's going to be used less in the receiving game now? Um, I maybe a little less. I the thing with the yards per carry thing. I'm going to go back to that. Is Maybe more carries could bring it down, but he he led the league in like 40-plus-yard runs. It's those big plays that really inflate that stat for him because there are some games where he he seems to lose yardage on like five handoffs and six handoffs here and there, but it's the big runs that really inflate that stat. And the receiving game, I I could see them dialing it back a little bit as they're not going to be too competitive and they don't want to, you know, get him injured or anything, but... I don't know. He's just such a talented receiver. Uh, coming out of the backfield, if they can get a matchup on a linebacker, it's a win every time. And without Odell Beckham, I, I see him maybe honestly getting a little more, uh, a little more time as a receiver than last year. A little more. Wow. So you think he might beat his uh, ninety receptions? If if they're competitive midway through the season, for sure. But it it's it's iffy, you know. Yeah, that's the thing, because I would really prefer them to not 
give him like 400 something touches in a year where I don't expect a ton of success. I mean, it just seems like a lot of unneeded mileage when Wayne Gallman is actually a pretty good backup and could really do some things. I know anytime he got in the game last year, it didn't go so well because, you know, we needed everything we could get from Saquon last year. But I would expect Gallman to maybe even grab himself a couple hundred yards. Yeah, I could see that. I've always liked the way Gallman runs and receives. He's a pretty decent receiver, too. Yeah, I remember in the preseason, he actually uh, ran a really nice arrow route and caught a pass in the end zone. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, and his first career touchdown was in Tampa. He caught a reception on his birthday. Yeah, I remember that. Um, So, as far as other running backs, there's probably, they might get like, 25 to 40 carries probably nothing serious but my prediction for Barkley I think he's going to actually have about 1400 rushing yards and you know just barely edge out what he did last year but I think he's going to finish with about 70 receptions because in the second half of the year he was only catching about three passes per game and that's that's almost pretty average for any running back at this point yeah, but I, I don't know. If the, if they're competitive, you got to get the ball to him as much as you possibly can. So I could see him obviously averaging more than three catches per game. But if they're if they're headed for the bottom again, yeah, you got to dial it back. You can't risk an injury on Saquon Barkley. Yeah, that's the thing. Like the first handful of games of the season are going to really impact, you know, what we expect as far as predictions, but with their statistics, but uh, you know, speaking of that, I want to ask you about what week you think it would take for things to just really unravel and get Daniel Jones in there. Say sometime like in September, October, like, how about this? How many wins halfway through October would it take to get Daniel Jones in there? I don't think he'll play in October, no matter what, to be honest. Even if they're like two and four, two and five. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I think you're gonna wait until at least November. Okay. I mean, I expect them in December. Uh, I mean, I think the I think the Giants will put up a decent fight for a good amount of the season, but I just think it'll start to unravel. I think the Giants are one of those teams right now where it looks like they could compete, but. Every team has a couple injuries here and there, and based on how much depth you have is really how what decides how much those couple of injuries really hurt. So, I mean, if everyone stays healthy, maybe you don't even see Daniel Jones this year, but do you think they are more worried about keeping him on the bench just to develop and kind of protect him in that sense, or do you think they really want to see him this year? I think they really hope that he doesn't play. I think they hope that Eli has a great year and he can just sit there and learn behind uh, a high-performing Eli. I think I they just seem so committed to the sit-back-and-learn approach with Daniel Jones. And who could fault them? We had this discussion a couple episodes ago about Sam Darnold, how it seemed like he got thrown into the mix too soon and he wasn't playing too well. But then he, he left for a couple weeks, came back, 
looked like he had learned a lot more and played a lot better. And I think something like that with Daniel Jones, if they get him in there too soon, and you, you never know, it could just wreck his confidence and totally derail the way that he plays and have everlasting effects. So you don't want to rush him in there. So I don't think that they're too eager to see him play in 2019. I think they're eager to see him play probably the following season and get him as much time to learn as he can this year. Yeah, I mean, the best case scenario would just to, you know, justify keeping Eli out there with with the record that they have. Like, say, you know, we're even 5-4 and four at one point in the season wouldn't be so terrible compared to what we've been dealing with lately. But, yeah, I, I just think that's uh, a pretty interesting point there because Shermer seemed to lighten his stance a couple weeks ago, and, you know, we talked about that, but... You know, maybe there's just a chance that he just didn't feel like talking in absolutes and, you know, before the summer has even started, just, you know, because many coaches don't really like to do that. Yeah, well, of course, and I'm sure, you know, the media definitely took his words and they saw something, they had to run with it. But there was also, uh, Eli Manning did an exclusive interview with NFL Network today, and it kind of went under the radar, and he talked about, uh, the situation with Daniel Jones and he said that he feels like there is no competition at all and he described himself as being a pretty good mentor so far he said that he's he's going to deal with Jones and the other quarterbacks in the room how he always treats the young quarterbacks teaching them how to uh, how to pick up on certain defenses how to learn the offense so it seems like he's really helping Daniel Jones so far according to himself but he also seemed pretty certain that his job was secure for the season yeah I mean I don't think they'll really take it from him before week one or anything um but something that I found interesting is like this franchise has become so focused on eliminating distractions and putting out fires for the media things like that and yet Shermer knew full well that if he didn't just come out and totally eliminate any interpretation for the media that's exactly what would happen and he just let it happen i mean he he did everything he could to reiterate that daniel jones is getting ready to play week one and that was nothing he ever had to say and no one even asked him that so i just i find that part of it really interesting yeah it is interesting every time i watch pat Shermer, it's really it's a little weird because uh, I remember the 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 NFL Combine press conferences specifically for this. You saw Dave Gettleman go up there, and he gave he he told us nothing. He was like back and forth on everything, and he was just like, "Well, you got to look at the quarterback, and you got to watch them all." And then <laughs> Pat Shermer goes up there, and he's like, "Yeah, I really like what Dwayne Haskins does here. Oh, I don't think." Uh, Kyle Murray's height is a problem like he talked specifically about these quarterbacks and added a lot of speculation when Dave Gettleman seemed like he was trying to add no speculation at all and it was just a very strange it almost was like maybe they were on the same page and they were doing it intentionally or maybe they just weren't on the same page because the way they were talking about the prospects and their plans was just like one was an open book one was just a closed book yeah I mean I mean, it was kind of lying season when a lot of that was being talked about, but they at the same time, it, it never seemed like a mystery that the Giants loved Daniel Jones. Yeah, that's... I'd say Dave Gettleman made that a lot more obvious than 
Pat Shermer did. Shermer made it look Absolutely. like they were into uh, Kyler Murray a bit and Haskins too. Yeah, it seems like Gettleman like wants to try to lie sometimes, as every GM should. So I don't see why fans should get on him for that. But he just doesn't seem that good at lying. I mean, <laughs> he, I mean, even on draft day, he was just talking so much about getting the right guy and the the right character in there and i'm just like man he's just screaming daniel jones to me the the problem is when he tries to lie you can just tell that he's lying like so easily and then you know exactly what he's going to do because it's always going to be the opposite of what he says he's going to do so he says he's not going to force a quarterback in the first round then he's going to let the best player fall to him you knew that he was just going to force a quarterback early in the first round yeah, I, I had such a feeling they were going quarterback, too. And and in 2018, he had nothing to hide because he was sitting at number two. He knew that nobody was taking Saquon number one overall. So, you know, he really didn't have much dancing around to do. But I'm, I'm interested to see how he handles other drafts going forward. And, you know, now that the quarterback is out of the way, he can, you know, really avoid one of those constant questions and, but uh, I do want to mention one thing he said uh, throughout the draft process. They were talking about who he would take at 17. And, you know, they were trying to press him to say it might be a quarterback. And he goes, maybe it's a cornerback. And I just find it funny that he would actually say that when he actually came trading up for DeAndre Baker, you know, once that came around. But the <laughs> I just think, you know... The coach and the GM maybe say things sometimes they don't really need to, and I, I think they could control these interviews a little more than they do. Yeah, I mean, I don't really watch other teams' interviews very often, so I don't know how other teams operate because I only ever watch the Giants. Because that's all I cover on this website, and that's all I really care to cover because I'm a big Giants fan. So, But it feels like... You know, every now and then I'll see Bill Belichick speak, and obviously he's one of a kind. He gives nothing to the reporters. He just says nothing. It's just so weird how the Giants operate. It's like you can really just tell everything that they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that they, you know, really regroup and reflect on the way they handle the media because they're absolute gentlemen about it, but it's almost at their own cost sometimes, and they just end up, almost you know defending themselves when you know really they could give whatever answer they want Gettleman with the uh the bagel shop boy great pick Gettleman that he really used that as justification for the Daniel Jones pick that was really comical to me and someone asked if uh he had Daniel Jones rated higher than Josh Allen on his board and then this is what he did he said well first of all it's legal to have guys on the same line and it's like you know that was a very defensive answer and all he should have done is just said yes i did i had him rated higher than josh allen yeah he he gets really defensive about his picks almost like he's not too confident in them either and that that's a whole nother cause for concern but another interesting debate with dave gettleman as general manager is He's an older guy. He's a very old GM, and that's why when we saw him take Saquon Barkley, it made sense. We're like, okay, he's old. He probably wants to win now and then get going. But then he takes a quarterback, so it looks like he's here for the long run. But it's really interesting because how long is the long run with Dave Gettleman? Do they have another guy in a house that they're 
planning on making the next GM already. Could be Kevin Abrams. I know he interviewed for the job, but it's just how far is Gettleman's rebuild going to go and how long will it take until he gets replaced because it's inevitable because he is older. But do they need to maybe push that date ahead, get him out sooner rather than later? That's that's an interesting debate that we're going to be looking at over the next couple seasons. Yeah, well, once you draft that quarterback, you're usually tied to the hip with that guy, and you basically go as far as he goes. Um, you know, if Daniel comes in and can't do a thing in the first couple years, then Gettleman and Shermer are probably out of here. That's just the way that goes normally when you draft quarterbacks, and especially when the world around you doesn't agree with what you did. So. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if Daniel Jones ends up being a bust, obviously Gettleman's getting out of here with pitchforks. And that's the thing, like, I don't think he misunderstood what's more important, a quarterback or a running back last year. I just think he based his draft plans on the idea that Eli can play a lot longer. So, you know, if if a lot of other teams drafted Saquon Barkley second overall, it would have looked a lot better. Yeah, but it's just Eli Manning. He's 38 years old, and, you know, we know what year Peyton Manning retired. If Peyton Manning has a shelf life that lasts till 38 years old, why would we assume that Eli Manning's would last longer? And I know it's like... It's kind of a weird thing to say because it's just two different people, but when you see the arguably greatest regular season quarterback of all time start to fizzle out at 38 and then have to retire because of that, you would just assume that a guy who's been up and down his entire career is just going to go down at 38, and it looks like that's where he's headed, but the Giants just had the utmost confidence that he was going to rise up. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think they look a whole lot different than each other at this point in their careers when they're nearly 40 years old. But Peyton just had the luxury of having just an absolute powerhouse of a team around him. And, you know, he was actually managing games the last year he when he won that Super Bowl. So, And if you remember the Super Bowl, you know, it was not really an offensive game at all. <laughs> I mean, they had outstanding defense, and Peyton did enough. So... You know, that's really the hope for us this year. I mean, could you imagine if Eli got that third ring and then got to, you know, retire in the same fashion as Peyton? Yeah, it would be incredible. I was talking about that today with a friend. I was like, man, that would just be unbelievable if we could see Eli go out on top. But it just doesn't look likely. But another thing with Peyton Manning, I do remember he was benched that season that they won the Super Bowl. He got benched because he was playing so poorly. He led the league in interceptions and October or something and he was benched for Brock Osweiler so it would not be too strange to see Eli get benched if he is playing poorly enough now that we have a young quarterback on the roster that's the thing like there's been other years to get on Eli's case but at the tail end of any quarterback's career you know they I don't even think Tom Brady looked quite the same last year but you know maybe that's a conversation for another time um so last we have a game here, and why don't you explain it, Anthony? Sure, we're going to pick players that we would start a franchise with. So we get a few categories. We get one player who is an all-pro. We get two players who are pro bowlers but have never been an all-pro. And then we get three players who have never been all-pro 
or pro bowler and we're going to build a young core on a team who would we who we would start a franchise with so i'll go first and i'll say who my all pro player would be and i'd pick aaron donald i think he is the best player in football he came out of the same draft class as odell beckham and man it's now that we look back on it i bet we wish that we went with aaron donald instead i mean that dude takes over games he looks like he's without a doubt going to be a hall of famer at the end of his career uh nfl defensive player of the year last year and i believe the was he the year before was that Khalil mack i think it was Khalil mack that year but yeah there's there's no doubt that you got a you know an absolute building block there yep i'm gonna go with patrick mahomes i mean (laughs) just the the absolute star the young star the nfl right now um all right so who's your next guy uh, Saquon Barkley is my Pro Bowl pick, the first one. Absolutely generational talent and a lot of bias there because oh, I man. love Saquon. So you have you have a defensive tackle and a running back, so you're you're kind of going uh, you're going for the elite over positional here. Interesting. All right, well my Pro Bowler is <laughs> going to be Odell. Uh, you know, we've talked about him enough, obviously, but he's one of the young elite receivers in this game. And imagining Patrick Mahomes throwing to Odell is pretty fun. Yeah, it's definitely fun. He is to think Ben McAdoo wanted to trade up and get Patrick Mahomes oh, in 2017. Man, what I try to I try to forget about it, and I try to just tell myself, you know, there's no weight to that rumor. Just you know. <laughs> Um, my next Pro Bowl pick, it's a tough one. Uh, I've got a couple players I could go here. I think I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Denzel Ward. Uh, I'm going to take a different Cleveland Brown. I think you got to build a defense, and I think pass coverage is arguably more important than pass rush at this point. And he's a really young, talented player, and I like where he's going to be. I think he's going to be a great player in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not quite going after my defense yet. I'm getting kind of greedy with the offense. I'm going to go David Bakhtiari, one of the best left tackles in the league. And just watching that guy's feet, man, when he watches, when he matches up against those speed rushers, he, he is just absolutely amazing. And, you know, a big reason why Aaron Rodgers is able to do what he does when he's in the pocket. Um, all right, so who's your next guy? Yeah, that was a really great pick. And my next guy... Hasn't been to an All-Pro or Pro Bowl. I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield. He had an awesome rookie season. Another Cleveland Brown. That's funny, but he's just so talented. I really wish somehow he was in big blue, sitting behind Eli or taking over for Eli by now, hopefully. But, yeah, he's special. I I think he really can have a Hall of Fame career. Oh, nice. You got your quarterback on the cheap here. uh, Yep. I really paid for mine. Hmm. All right, next I'm going Nick Bosa. I know he's not quite proven, but I have not made a defensive pick yet, and I love my edge rushers. So, you know, I expect this guy to be a double-digit sack guy right out of the gates, actually, because, um, you know, most talent evaluators think he was actually ahead of his brother, Joey Bosa. Uh, So I expect big things from this kid. So what's your next guy? Yeah, I love that pick. I think Nick Bosa is an incredible prospect, and I think he's going to have a great career. 
my next pick is Ryan Ramchek. I can't believe this guy has not been to a Pro Bowl or anything. He's been really consistent over his first two years. And Again, there's another pick with the Giants. You can definitely debate. Ryan Ramchek might have been a better pick than Evan Engram was there. Oh, might yeah. have been. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Engram's a great talent, don't get me wrong, but he's he, he's not on the field too much. He's injured, and it's a tight end position versus right tackle. He's, yeah. Yeah, that's a great pick. All right. I'm going Will Hernandez, the best up-and-coming <laughs> left guard in the league. Basically the... Basically, the match of Zach Martin, but on the left side. Hmm. You think he's his, you think he's no, on that, Zach Martin's level? No, that's a little that's a little hopeful, but <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully but, he can uh, progress to that. That'd be awesome. Oh man, I'm absolutely hoping so. Yeah, I love Big Will. Uh, my final pick, I got to get Baker a, a a weapon to throw to. I'm gonna go with Stephon Diggs. I think he's been a really solid player over the first few years of his career little underrated because Thielen's really taken over in Minnesota, but Stephon Diggs is a great player. I think he would pair very nicely with Baker Mayfield. Yeah, that's a bargain there. All right, I need to get after my defense a little bit here because I've been real greedy with <laughs> basically building this fantasy football team. Uh, all right, I'm going to go Tredavious White. He is one of the best corners in the league already. I don't know how he hasn't been selected for a pro bowl yet but the kid is an absolute lockdown corner and i used to watch him in lsu all the time and he would shut down premier receivers back then like uh amari cooper so you know i didn't get a whole lot of defense but i'm pretty confident i can score points with patrick mahomes odell and having (laughs) david bakhtiari mike mcglinchey and Will Hernandez <laughs> protecting for those guys. That, that's just unreal. Yeah, that would be incredible. I really like that pick. So do you want to go over your team there? Sure. Aaron Donald, Saquon Barkley, Denzel Ward, Baker Mayfield, Ryan Ramchek, and Stephon Diggs. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty serious squad also. Yep. All right. Well, that's all we have for you today. Thanks for stopping by and we'll see you next week.